0: And uh, welcome in everybody. Welcome to another Tuesday night, another edition of Connor and Coverage. My name is Connor Riley. We do this every Tuesday night, talking the latest Georgia football, Georgia recruiting, really whatever you want to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk in the next thirty minutes. Got plenty of G day stuff to wrap up. Obviously, held this past weekend. JT Daniels looked really good. Darnell Washington looked really good. Some interesting things about the offensive line and uh, defensive back play that I think is worth considering and thinking about going forward. A lot of takeaways. We're going to need that game to last us the next couple of weeks here as we move back into another sort of cycle of the offseason. We're now, I believe, 20 Saturdays away from Georgia playing Clemson in that season opener. I know there was some brouhaha with a blogger saying Georgia had no shot against Clemson. Personally, right now, I'd say seeing how JT Daniels played, who we're going to talk about tonight – I'd feel pretty comfortable with what Georgia could potentially do in that game, so long as the offensive line, I think, holds up. Well, we've got plenty to talk about. Obviously, the main takeaway tonight is the headline of this show. We're going to talk about the skill players around JT Daniels a little bit because I think what they did is a little bit more interesting and worth spending some more time on it. Quite frankly, everyone has already written and had their takes about JT Daniels, so we're going to go somewhere else to start off tonight. Uh, but thanks again for tuning in. If you have questions, we're on YouTube. At 8 p.m. every Tuesday night, go ahead and ask them. I'll do my best to answer them. Not exactly streaming on multiple platforms just yet, but if you're listening to this in a podcast form, stop on by Tuesday nights at 8 when we do this show live. We have plenty to talk about. My name is Connor Riley, and Connor in coverage. And Our first topic of tonight is the headline of the show. It is I sort of take, I guess. I'm a big takes guy, and one of my big takeaways it happened early on in the game, but really something that I have thought about it more and more and stewed on it, This Georgia team is going to go as far as they can because of what they get out of their 2020 offensive skill players, specifically those that they signed in the 2020 recruiting class. I'm talking about running back Kendall Milton. I am talking about wide receivers Marcus Rosemey-Jack Saint, Jermaine Burton, Arian Smith, and I am talking about tight end Darnell Washington. Now, we'll get into a little bit of the offensive line signees as well because I think Tate Ratliff did some interesting things and is at the very least going to be a player on this offensive line this year, but really... In the wake of losing George Pickens, he was obviously, I think, Georgia's best skill player, maybe even a better player than what JT Daniels uh, will be and potentially could have been. But now, with him out of the picture, Georgia's only really, in my opinion, if they're going to get to a national title and win it all, it's because not just one guy of those five signees that I just mentioned, Pop, it's because multiple of those guys really step forward and make plays this season. Obviously, Depth is really good at all those positions. At tight end, you have John Fitzpatrick and Brock Bowers, a freshman who I thought looked pretty good. At running back, you obviously have Zamir White and James Cook. And then wide receiver, you have guys like Kyrus Jackson, Demetrius Robertson, Justin Robinson, who in and of himself is a 2020 signee as well. There's real depth there, but for this Georgia offense to get where it's going, it's going to need JT Daniels to sort of really hook up with and connect well with these 2020 signees. And we'll start a little bit with Darnell. I think he had, of those out there, The best game on Saturday. Four catches, 84 yards, a touchdown. A 51-yard rumble. Uh, Just an incredible play where, unfortunately, Lavoisier Carroll, the corner, fell down. Even if he hadn't, I don't think there would have been much He could have done there. And then poor Dan Jackson makes an attempt to tackle uh, Darnell and just bounces to the turf harmlessly. I tweeted out a video. Watching Darnell Washington in the open field where there's no one around him is like watching a tank roll through. And it's not just, you know, Dan Jackson a walk on safety at Georgia. He did that to Missouri last year. He did that to Cincinnati last year. Georgia, at the end of last season with Todd Munkin, as I think Darnell sort of started to get and understand what they wanted out of him. I think became a bigger part of this offense. And the most interesting thing to me was Darnell on Saturday. Some of those catches that he had, specifically the touchdown and the one from Carroll, he was not sort of that in line, hand on the line tight end that we've seen from Georgia a few years. They've sort of encouraged him and put him in places to where he can catch out of the a, a, outside. And so with that in mind, you know, we asked J. T. Daniels about what he thought about Darnell. Obviously, Darnell and J. T. weren't on the same team. But what JT says here, I'm gonna play the clip for you, is something we've heard a lot when talking about Darnell. He is sort of he understands the game in a much better level from a mental aspect. And and just given his physical attributes, six seven, Kirby Smart said he's pushing 280, 285 pounds. Just Uh, the the comparison I throw out there is if LeBron James played basketball, he'd look like Darnell Washington. And so with Washington sort of always having the physical traits, now as he continues to understand the mental aspects, especially when route running on the outside, something he probably wasn't asked to do a whole lot of in high school, and and then obviously transitioning to what I think of as an NFL offense with Todd Munkin, I I think – you're going to see a lot out of Darnell Washington this fall. How much? I don't know yet. You know, BA on his show this morning said he thinks Darnell can be a top four pass catcher for Georgia this year. If that's the case, I think he's going to have maybe around 30 catches. But uh, I thought JT had some really interesting stuff to say about the development of Darnell Washington and what comes next. So here's JT talking about Georgia's massive tight end.
1: You definitely do see a development in him. You know, last year, obviously, when you're coming from high school football to a real, you know, Coach Monk in NFL system in college, uh, there's a there's a shock that hits you right away, um, you know, just because there's so much to it. Uh, you see it this year. Um, he gets a signal right away, and he knows what he's doing. He's not thinking twice about it compared to last year. You know, everyone that's new has, a, you know, a lot of mental errors, and, you know, it's just, it's just new. Um, and in terms of his development physically, I think he's gotten a lot smoother um, in terms of getting in and out of breaks. Um, and he's always had good instinct, but it's gotten even better to me in terms of understanding where the ball is going to be thrown, uh, understanding where his grass is, uh, and really taking advantage of you know his size.
0: So, yeah, you hear him there, Darnell sort of making the mental adjustments. And, and that's natural to come with a guy who arrived last summer, middle of a pandemic, not your traditional offseason, didn't really give him a chance to make an adequate adjustment into the program. But now a little bit more adequated. Now he did miss some time this spring. Kirby Smart had talked about that And that just sort of makes you wonder, if he gets a full offseason, specifically in the fall, those extra, I guess, 15, however many practices they'll have before that season opener against Clemson, he could be even, I think, a bigger part of this offense. You saw that against Missouri when they had a week off to prepare for that game. You saw it against Cincinnati when they had a month off. If they get some time to install some stuff for Darnell, it makes them really difficult to cover. And I asked Quay Walker about, you know, what is it like trying – because guys like Quay are going to have to cover Darnell Washington – At some point this year, what is it like covering someone of that size, and what can he, you know, sort of bring to an offense that really makes him a difficult cover? I thought what Quay here had to say was really interesting.
1: It's pretty, it's pretty fun to me because going up against a guy like that is really going to help me throughout the season. He's going to bring a lot of different matchups, just by how big he is, and by him being being able to move how he moves, and you know, things like that.
0: So, yeah, Darnell, I don't know if he's your number one. I think that still goes to JT Daniels. But if you're making a tie, he is at least on the podium of most impressive performances from G-Day that day. And I think the takeaway from that is, can Georgia sort of get that same thing out of Darnell come this fall? Excuse me. Where he is you know, not Georgia's leading receiver. I don't think he's going to be. I think Kiaris Jackson, Jermaine Burton, and, and someone else is going to become that for this Georgia team. But can he be a constant pre... Uh, <laughs> presence and threat and from that how often is he involved in the offense because if Georgia is using him like they used him on Saturday, teams are gonna have to know where he is on the field at all times. And that's gonna open everything else up for this offense. So I think Darnell is someone easily we can talk of off the top of the part there, talking about those 2020 signees and what Georgia needs out of them. The next guy I want to talk about here is Kendall Milton. Uh had the game's first touchdown, looked impressive catching the ball out of the backfield if you were watching the game at home like I was you heard Jordan Rodgers say he thinks that Kendall is Georgia's most gifted runner. Now, I don't think that Kendall does right now all the little things that Zamir does, which is why I think Zamir's is certainly going to get a lot of carries. And quite frankly, Zamir looked really good on Saturday. It looked natural and fluid catching passes out of the backfield. Slimmed down a little bit. Probably is a lot more comfortable and confident in his knee. Now, I think two or three years removed from that knee injury, but... Kendall is just sort of a different uh, running back. I I found it interesting that they were giving him the ball in sort of fourth and short, third and short situations. I think he can be a very physical runner for Georgia. And Kirby sort of uh, listing the players that he thought played. Well, obviously, he listed Zamir and James Cook. But I, I think Kendall is someone who's really impressed this spring and is hyped up as he was. Weirdly somehow lived up to that height. I, Kirby talked about him a little bit. It's a short clip here, but this is Kirby talking about Kendall after the spring game went, scored a touchdown, looked good coming out of the backfield, did all right in pass protection, I think, for the most part. So Kendall is a guy that's going to continue to get better, and while he might not be Georgia's leading rusher, I think he's someone who can absolutely play a role and be a dynamic runner in this offense. Here's what Kirby had to say about Kendall. Kendall
2: as well, had some good strong runs, which he's, he's done this spring. So a lot of those guys pop out. De- Kendall. So yeah,
0: short little clip there, but Kendall is someone. I don't know if he's going to be Georgia's leading rusher. If he is, I think that's great for this offense. But conversely, I think Zamir's a really good player, and he's going to make a couple of plays this season. You have James Cook and Kenny McIntosh back there as well. But Georgia's going to need something from Kendall Milton this year. I don't know if, if I don't know even want to know what the over under for him on rushing yards would be. I maybe conservatively set it around five hundred and just sort of see if, where he goes because again. It's a really crowded backfield, but he even last year, games against Auburn and Tennessee, those were later on in the game, you know, score was a little out of hand there when he sort of made those big runs. But that Alabama game, he made some plays early on in that game, and I think that was really telling to me in that aspect. So with Kendall, yes, he's got a lot of competition in front of him, but I think Georgia, and especially with the way Kirby Smart has used in the past, he wants multiple running backs involved, even when he had Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb topping 1,000 yards. Uh, back in that 2017 season, DeAndre Swift still played a role in that team, had over 600 rushing yards. So I'll be interested to see how often and how frequently Kendall gets used because I do probably agree with Jordan. I think in terms of upside and talent, I think Kendall is the number one running back there in that aspect. But Zamir does so many little things well that that's going to get him and keep him on the field. And so Kendall needs to make up some ground, so to speak, in that area. And then shifting to our last little bit, Jermaine Burton, Arian Smith, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint. Uh, two of those guys did not play as they were dealing with injuries. Uh, Jermaine Burton hyperextended his knee, and then A- R- Rosemary Jackson is obviously coming back from his ankle injury he suffered against Florida last year. Arian Smith did play, was targeted, I believe, three times, did not connect on any of them. Carson Beck overthrew him once or maybe even twice, and then another time and ended in an interception. Uh, that cannot happen this fall with those three guys. Those guys will need to be involved heavily in this Georgia offense because while I think Kyrus Jackson is an excellent receiver and he showed that a couple of times on Saturday, Jermaine Burton's probably going to need to be your best receiver. And on the other hand, I do think Marcus Rosemey-Jackson is someone who's going to have to play that X position that George Pickens occupied and play it pretty well because he, you know, Donnie Mitchell, I know he played well. Justin Robinson had turned some heads this spring, but I believe that Marcus Rosemey-Jackson of those guys is the best and has the highest upside. So, Georgia's going to need something from those guys. And this spring, you know, it was a really banged up injury room at that wide receiver position, specifically within any of those 2020 signees I just mentioned there, you know, Justin Robinson, a guy we didn't get to see. was held out for precautionary reasons on Saturday. So, It'll be really interesting to see how this wide receiver room develops and comes together come the fall. Kirby Smart had some brief comments on that. I'll play them for you right here.
2: A lot of wide outs. It's going to be a, to be a really good competition come fall uh, when we're at 100% health at the wide receiver position because some of the guys that got all these opportunities this spring have really stepped up. A lot of wide.
0: So in sort of tying everything together here, these 2020 signees I think have the real potential to be difference makers for Georgia in this 2021 season, Jermaine Burton, obvious talent, as you saw against Mississippi State last year. I think anyone who follows Georgia football knows Kendall Milton, what he can do. And then Darnell Washington show that even on a team that has full four stars and five-star players, he's just a diff- different physical presence. Georgia needs those guys to become difference makers this fall. And still only worth remembering, this is their second year in the program. They're not sort of the physically fully developed going off to the NFL draft yet type of players, but with no George Pickens, I think these guys need to have big years and make impact plays, not just once or twice or even one or two of them, but make them consistently over the course of the, course of the game. I don't think Kendall Milton will be the leading rusher for Georgia this year. I'm not sure what Darnell Washington's involvement is going to look like, but Georgia needs these 2020 signees to really step up. And, you know, obviously JT is, is the number one and most important player in the offense. I think these 2020 signees need, sort of need to help him and be his go-tos. Jermaine Burton out wide, Rosemary Jack St. Arian Smith going deep. Those sorts of guys making those sorts of plays I think will go a long way for Georgia in terms of if they get to a college football player for a national championship, it'll be because of those 2020 offensive signees and the progress that they made and how they sort of made plays this season with JT Daniels throwing you the ball. So that's our first topic for tonight, resetting the table here a little bit. My name is Connor Riley. This is Connor in coverage. We do this every Tuesday, talking the latest Georgia football. We've got a ton of stuff to talk about following G-Day. you have questions, I will answer them. But uh, transitioning here into our second subject a little bit as we hit the 15-minute mark, we're going to talk about JT Daniels because this is something where over the course and in the run-up to the spring game, I had sort of been curious about the discussion around Daniels in terms from a national perspective, obviously. I think Georgia fans knew how good he was, and they were not exactly surprised by what they saw on Saturday. But with all the spring games going on, Ohio State, Alabama, Auburn had theirs. I know Clemson had theirs a few weeks ago. I think a lot of people were really encouraged by what they saw out of JT Daniels. I know Mike Griffith had Cole Kublik on. I wrote a story off this as well. The national media really seemed to say, okay, JT Daniels, clearly the guy, clearly a star potential, probably the best quarterback or starting quarterback, I should clarify here, that Kirby Smart is going to have at Georgia in what will be his sixth season. So with that in mind, how... JT Daniels' disgust was really interesting this me, to me this spring, and I was talking with a couple of guys on Twitter a few weeks ago. If anything, I felt JT Daniels was being undervalued or, or under-respected a little bit when it came to the national media and what he could potentially do. Now, yes, he does have, I believe, 10-1 to 1 Heisman odds, but you saw on on Saturday, when he's right and he's got time to throw, he can absolutely pick you apart. I think the look, he looked a lot more confident in his knee. Now, maybe that can be because he knew he couldn't get hit, but I think Daniels is going to only continue to get better. And while, yes, losing George Pickens, I think, does hurt, he's going to take that offense to another level. And he's, I think, now pretty clearly going to have to be Georgia's best offensive player this year. But based off what we saw on Saturday, I think he absolutely is capable of that. And, you know, someone who, as Daniels said afterwards on Saturday – He's only had spring practice in and of itself four or five times over the course of his career, and he really appreciated the opportunity for, for himself to get better. Here's what JT had to say about what he learned about himself this spring and how he had sort of gotten better.
1: Um, you know, this is, I think this is like my fourth, this might be my fifth spring ball in my life, including high school. Um, so I've never really had too much experience in spring but uh, the years that you do, I mean, it's just 15 extra practices. It's, it's 15 practice worth, practices worth of reps uh, with the guys you're going to be playing. So you know, if you got something that you want to work on based on last year that you saw that you didn't like, you have all of spring to do it without having to wait a whole year. Um, but there's been a lot of overall improvement to me personally, and then also with uh, you know a lot of guys stepping up at the receiver room, there's a lot there's a lot better chemistry that you notice from. The spring game as compared to the one eighty was first starting to, you know, ramp with the ones.
0: So yeah, you hear JT talking about the improvements that he had made this spring right there. And I, I thought on G Day it was very evident. Three hundred and twenty four passing yards, three touchdowns, through a deep ball light to Demetrius Robertson that you like to see through an absolute missile on the touchdown to Adonai Mitchell right before halftime. And even the the touchdown to Kiaris Jackson, I I thought it was a really nice play of him moving and navigating the pocket and finding Kiaris and putting him in a position where he was able to make Chris Smith miss and get into the end zone there. So I I think with all that, though, with all that JT did on Saturday, I think the thing that's most encouraging if you're a Georgia fan or a Georgia supporter is what Kirby Smart has said and continue to say about JT Daniels. There's real confidence in him. He named him the starter. And with that in mind, we asked Kirby afterwards on Saturday what he, what he thought of JT. Obviously, he hadn't had a chance to go back and look through the film. But there's real confidence from Kirby Smart when he talks about JT Daniels, which, you know, yes, it was there with Jake, but I don't remember it ever being there with Jake this early on in the process. So for Kirby to say this and talk about JT Daniels like this at this point in the year, I think should be a really good sign for what you could potentially see out of Daniels come this fall.
2: He's got command of the offense. Um, He's got to to be able to utilize the pocket, and we work on that each and every day. I know Coach Munkin uh, is always driving that home uh, with him, his ability to move in the pocket, step up. The offensive line's got to protect him and give him an opportunity. There were some times today that there were four-man rushes and we got some pressure, and guys got pushed back into him. And I think that's important, to allow him to step up in the pocket and move around and make make plays down the field. Uh, But he has command of it. He understands it. Uh, the key is his decision-making process. We know the quarterback position. There's probably a decision has to be made every single play, and uh, he manages that really well for us.
0: So as good as JT looked on Saturday, he's still going to have to get better, and that Clemson game is going to loom large, I think, for not just the discussion around JT, but the discussion around this Georgia program throughout the fall because, quite frankly, The other 11 games on Georgia's schedule, they should win all of those games, in my opinion, by at least double digits. I know Florida will be tough at Auburn. is always a tricky place to play, but Georgia is so much better than those teams. So how JT comes out and really looks in that season opening game against Clemson is really going to determine a lot of the narrative, not just about this Georgia team, but also about him because if he comes out and looks as good as he does or as good as he did sort of at the end against Cincinnati, against Missouri in that spring game, It's only going to further open people's eyes. I think if you asked a lot of people right now, who would you rather have, DJ Uyunglele, the Clemson quarterback, or or JT Daniels, uh, the Georgia quarterback, it'd probably be 60-40 just based off what DJ did last year, obviously against Notre Dame, Boston College. And while JT has a bigger sample size, I think the belief and trust in Clemson is a little bit greater than Georgia. But I think if you ask Georgia fans that, they take JT Daniels eight days a week and twice on Sunday. So... And Daniels is someone who's pretty clearly, I think, going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the country. How he continues to evolve and really lift up this Georgia offense, which he's not going to have to do with no George Pickens, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch how he continues to improve, even off what we saw on Saturday, where, again, and maybe this is just because he knew he couldn't be sacked, and there's you know, a little bit more confidence in what you can do in that game. But he showed the downfield arm strength, and he showed a willingness to check down the ball, get the running backs involved, not always go for the big play and risk turning it over or throwing an incompletion. Just say, hey, I've got really talented running backs, guys like Zamir White, James Cook, Kendall Milton, who, when I get them the ball in space, they can make guys miss and turn what at minimum is a three-yard play into a a ten-yard play. We saw Zamir White do that early in the game, making Quay Walker miss in pass coverage. So I think as JT gets more comfortable, and again, he's going to have, unlike last year, because I believe this time last year, I know this time last year, JT Daniels was not even at Georgia yet. He's going to have a full offseason to work with Todd Munkin, to tinker with this offense, to help Munkin understand what he does best so Munkin can get the best out of JT Daniels this fall. And so the more time that JT Daniels works with this Georgia program this offseason, I think it's only going to be for the betterment of himself and Georgia. He mentioned we spoke to him earlier in April that he hadn't gone back to California since arriving at Georgia last May. I hope at some point he does actually get a chance to go back home. Um, But Daniels is someone who I've always been very impressed with his maturity and sort of the adult way he goes about handling his time at Georgia here. And if you're a Georgia fan – With what you saw on Saturday, with what you continue to see out of him, I think there's real confidence for what he can bring. The national media certainly seems to think that. Paul Feinbaum said he is a legitimate quarterback option back there. I think he is someone who, again, if he continues to make progressions and improve, is absolutely someone who could win a national championship at Georgia. The difficulty now is sort of we touched off the top without George Pickens out there. Do you have the pieces around you to get there? And Daniels is going to have to do a lot of work to elevate those guys around him because as impressive as Kendall, Darnell, Jermaine Burton, Arian Smith, Marcus Rosemey, Jack St. Dominic Blaylock can be. A lot of those guys haven't done it on a big level or at least consistently on a big level. I don't believe any of those guys have over, I know any of those guys have had over 500 yards rushing or receiving. So JT is going to have to help elevate those guys and, I absolutely believe he can do it. And as Georgia gets deeper into its schedule, I think he's only going to continue to get better. That's why that Clemson game is going to be so important. You know, even if Georgia loses that game, obviously they can still make the playoff. But if they win that game, that's going to open so many doors for what this team could potentially do and potentially be. And I think if if Georgia wins that game, I think JT Daniels is going to be easily discussed as not just one of the best quarterbacks in the country, but one of the best point-blank players in this country. And, you know, as good as Jake Fromm was, as Justin Fields the one year that he was here, Georgia hasn't really had that in a quarterback in quite a long time. I mean, Matthew Stafford was good, but he was always more potential than what he had actually put out on the field. I think JT Daniels has a chance to really help this Georgia team take the next step forward that it has so desperately wanted to do for quite a long time. And, and, you know, the national media sort of discussing it. I know Stuart Mandel, the athletic, made fun of the fact that, Yeah, you might want to talk to your kids about uh, Kirby Smart finally having a a real star quarterback back there because based off what JT Daniels has showed us so far, he has looked every bit of that in his time at Georgia. So that's our second subject for tonight. My name is Connor Riley. This is Connor in coverage. We do this every Tuesday night, talking the latest in Georgia news. Uh, GA, obviously, this past weekend, a couple guys really stood out. Uh, Devontae Wyatt, Jalen Carter on the defensive line played really well, I thought. Keeley Ringo, even though he wasn't running with the first team, I thought he impressed me a little bit, especially with this being his first real game action. I think Keely and Jalen Kimber are going to have to be your starting cornerbacks this year for Georgia, and, and sort of we'll see what they get out of them. Obviously, no Nicobe Dean out there, but you guys have questions, comments, ask away, I've got one more short little segment that might go over our fan base's head, but that's okay. It's been something I want to discuss. It's really been a large national talking point or international talking point, really, but our last little subject here, is talking about the Super League. Uh, and I'm going to have to explain this from the ground floor because I know almost none of you follow soccer on here. The Super League is a was essentially the biggest clubs in Europe, six teams from England, uh, three teams from Italy and Spain, coming together and saying, hey, we make so much money for these leagues. What if we all just came together and formed our own league and we played each other? Sort of a, a champion's league on steroids, if you will. And it came out Sunday that 12 teams had sort of agreed to this principle that this was something they were going to pursue. And they were going to try and add in another three teams along with a rotating cast of five teams every year. Well, fans all across Europe rioted this idea. It is a something I absolutely believe is terrible. It is a pure money grab. And it is essentially a way to try to control the sport and say, we are the biggest clubs. We should get to determine how much money we make. We should never have to worry about the fear of relegation within the Super League. It is incredibly greedy, power-hungry, all the sort of things we've grown to hate in society of recent years. And FIFA and UEFA, to that point, had said, if you follow through with this and do this, we will ban you from all domestic and Champions League functions. And if players play in this league, they will be unable to play in the World Cup or FIFA-sponsored events, such as Euros, CONCACAF, etc. So they made it very clear that they were not happy with this. And on top of all that, Fans weren't happy with it either, you know. Specifically speaking, as a Tottenham fan, it's already you know Tottenham's not competing with Man City on a yearly basis to win the top of the Premier League, or or, so. If they joined that 12-team Super League, which was what it was, you know, you're still going to be competing behind Barcelona, Real Madrid, Man City, who have so much more money than you do already, and are going to continue to operate at a budget benefit compared to where Tottenham or say an Arsenal or Liverpool operate at. And so you're looking at finishing 7th or 8th every year. And finishing 7th or 8th in the Premier League is what you're already sort of doing. So why would you ostracize yourself from the rest of the world and go and do that? you got universally panned. And actually today, all six England clubs that were to be associated with this came out and said that we are pulling out of this. We we're going to stick with what we have here in England. It'll be interesting to see the developments of this going forward. I believe the Italian and Spanish side said that they're going to continue on with this idea. And we'll be interesting to see how this functions without those six-year English teams because I think they were pretty easily the biggest draw of this function. But, you know, us, you know, Georgia college football being in the offseason, this was real content. And I actually think the Super League is something that one day could and maybe even will happen in college football. Because right now with the way the sport is, yes, there are 129 FBS teams. But realistically, there's maybe only 12 to at most 15 teams that can win a national championship every year or at least compete on a yearly basis to where they can get, you know, win 9-10 games, get in that conference title game. You win that, you can potentially get in the college football playoff. And Georgia was one of the teams that was pretty frequently thrown in as one of those 12-15 to Super League teams. And I absolutely think with the way college sports is being run now, with money being more and more important and sort of traditional things going by the wayside, I could absolutely see at some point in my lifetime, these schools, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, Florida, Georgia, USC, Oklahoma, Texas sort of getting together and saying, Hey, we can make billions of dollars off a TV deal with just the biggest fan bases playing every, every week, every so often, Really diving in, you know, okay, so we lose Georgia-Auburn, you lose Alabama-Tennessee, you lose Ohio State, Penn State, or whatever. You lose some of those games that mean a lot regionally, but nationally we can make so much money from this, it makes too much sense not for us to go out and do it. And I actually think as bad as it would be for college football, it wouldn't be quite as bad as what you would see on the European side, but it's still something that I, I, I fear one day is absolutely going to be considered. And I just think it's worse for college, for college sports as a whole. And I, I've made my stance on some of these issues pretty clear. I think Georgia should still play Georgia Tech every year. I think Georgia and Florida should always play in Jacksonville. I, the thing that makes college football special, to me at least, is some of these traditions that mean maybe not a whole lot to everyone, but to some people, they're absolutely the tie that binds them to this sport. Because if you do go to the sort of Super League, type event where it's 12 to 15 teams competing against each other round robin. Everyone plays everyone. One Georgia, Ohio state, uh, which is a game that is scheduled in 2029 doesn't become as beloved. It is just another team on your schedule that you have to play every year. Uh, And while that sounds cool in theory that, Hey, we're playing Ohio state every year. We're playing Oklahoma every year. We're playing Texas. We're playing all these schools. What happens when you start losing to those schools? And you know, yes, I'll, I, every fan out there naturally thinks, oh, my school's going to keep winning all of those games. But it's a lot less fun when the losses actually start piling up. And while, yeah, playing Kentucky, it's not necessarily the same marquee, but in life, sometimes I think we really need to just enjoy the simple things. Enjoy a win over Kentucky. Enjoy a win over Missouri. Those games help make those Florida games matter a whole lot more. And if you're making every game a Florida game, I I think it sort of dilutes a little bit what those big games potentially mean if every game is a big game. It's sort of the truly, if everyone is special, then no one is special. So I I think at some point we could absolutely see this. Some have said we've already seen it with the way um, conference realignment had gone a few years ago, and we'll probably see again after these latest TV deals come up. But I I think as you've sort of seen with the pushback to it in Europe, the Super League is a bad idea. And hopefully it stays away from college football because we've already seen, in my opinion, enough of this sport be torn apart and ripped up because of money and and chasing money. And I think if you continue to do that, eventually this sport is just going to be a miniature version of the NFL. And quite frankly, I'd rather just watch NFL professionals do it than than college athletes. So that's sort of explaining the Super League a little bit in the best terms that I can uh wrapping things up here my name is connor riley welcome into connor and coverage we talked off the top of the show about 2020 signees and how they really need to i think carry the offense when it comes especially to the skill positions kennel milton darnell washington jermaine burton etc we talked about jt daniels and what he's continued to look like and how he has talked about and discussed and where he can go and get to that next level and i think that's really important for georgia obviously Now without George Pickens, JT Daniels needs to be even more of a guy and more of the obvious best player on Georgia's team. So with that, we'll open it up to questions, comments, thoughts. What do you guys have? Spring games wrapped up this weekend. I know Alabama had theirs. G. Grace is in here. I'm sure he's got questions, maybe not for me, or thoughts about Alabama. Uh, A couple other schools were less than 20 Saturdays now from that first weekend where Georgia will play Clemson and Charlotte, at least as of right now. So Comments, questions, thoughts, fire away. Um, Or in Chile, what would Notre Dame do? Notre Dame would be in the Super League. They're a massive draw. They make a ton of money. I I mean, as much as people hate them, you hate people you care about. Or at least you care about who you hate, I should say. So I I think Notre Dame would obviously be in that. Um, Let's see. Uh, asking about Mims. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about the offensive line here with Georgia. I found it very interesting that Broderick Jones didn't take any snaps at left tackle on Saturday. Uh, You know, does that mean they see him as a right tackle going forward? What does that mean for Xavier Truss? I'm very interested by that. And, you know, maybe they view Mims as someone who can, over the course of the year, if not by that first game against Clemson, sort of, Earn their way into that left tackle spot. I know Jamari Sawyer was a little banged up. He's someone who, if they were playing Clemson this weekend, he's out there. I'll be interested to sort of see because it sounds like right now the decision George is going to make is do we put Xavier Truss at left tackle and then our guards are Jamari Sawyer at left guard, Justin Schaefer at right guard, or Do we put Jamari Sawyer at left tackle, and then your guards are Schaefer and Tate Ratledge? They put Ratledge out there at right guard. He played that entire entire game with the first-team offense. I think that's by design. They had said they wanted to get him more reps, and I think doing that in a scrimmage setting will really help him eventually. But come this season, I expect him to sort of be that sixth offensive lineman, that first guy off the bench, if someone goes down, and he can come in and play that right guard spot and move things around. Um, Let's see... Um, Reformation logistics. Mims and Jones will start. Uh, Warren McClendon is a really good right tackle, and I, it's going to be hard, at least this year, for Roger Jones to unseat him in that spot. You know, we got a chance to talk to him after the game. I, Warren McClendon. You know, I think Jamari Sawyer is George's best offensive line right uh, lineman right now. I think Warren McClendon is a pretty good second to have. Obviously, they're going to have to figure out the rest of their offensive line, but I, from what I've seen from Warren McClendon, he is a very good football player. Um. John Adams brings up George Pickens. Yeah, I mean, it it's it's too early to tell with him. It's really when we get around to August and September, where is he in his recovery process? He's had surgery, so that clock has already sort of started to tick in terms of all right, if he gets to X, Y, and Z by point Y, then he could potentially come back and be out there on the field. At the end of the day, as much as Georgia wants George to come back, and as glowingly have they spoken about him, it's up to George if he comes back. He's going to have to decide, hey, do I maybe you know just go off and start getting ready for the NFL? Or do I stick it out here, try and come back, make an impact on this team? We saw Jalen Waddell do that with Alabama a year ago. So it'll be interesting to sort of see how this goes about, how, how George goes about attacking this rehab, and, and ultimately it's going to be up to him if he's able to get back on the field for Georgia. Um, let's see. Questions, thoughts, comments. Yeah, uh, talking about JG Daniels, that is just a confident guy. He, he you know, he's just, there, there's a maturity about him that is really refreshing from a dealing with him on a media personality standpoint. You know, I think his time in USC, while it wasn't necessarily always great for him, I think he really understood that living in a fishbowl, uh, that presence of what you have to do to be great there and I think that's really helped him at Georgia because, while, well, yes, USC may not be in the current level of Georgia. From a mu- from a media scrutiny standpoint, it is, and he understands what playing for a power program means, which is why I think he's had the transition that he has had and as successful as it is. Um, happy that Clemson game is going to be a-, a test of how our season is going to go. Uh, you know what? That game is going to be a real tone setter because if they win that game... I, again, I've said before, they should breeze through the rest... Not breeze. They are comfortably better than every team on the rest of their regular season schedule. So, with that in mind, you win that Clemson game, you open the door to being 12-0 and going into that SEC championship game. And as we saw last year with Notre Dame, if you're unbeaten going into a conference championship game, even if you lose, and even if you get embarrassed, like Notre Dame did against Clemson the second time they played when Trevor Lawrence was actually out there, you're still good enough to get into the college football playoff based off what you did in those first 12 games. Now, I expect Georgia to see Alabama in that SEC championship game. I'm still not quite a believer in Texas A&M, especially certainly on the level that BA is. They got to replace a lot along their lines of scrimmage. A lot, and Kellen Martin, if Kellen Martin is as good as everyone says he is, why was he not better at Texas A&M? That's sort of so. You know, if you win that Clemson game, while yes, personally speaking, I think Georgia has to beat Alabama in route to a national championship to fully dispel all narratives. If you get to that Clemson, if you win that Clemson game it makes your college football playoff chances a lot better and really maybe potentially even removes some of the doubt of, well, if you lose to Bama, do you get into that game? Because we saw a few years ago when Georgia played Alabama in the 2018 SEC Championship game, Georgia entered that game un- unbeaten. They're still probably in the playoff, but they lost to LSU in-, in bad fashion, and ultimately that wasn't enough to convince the committee to overcome Oklahoma, another similar one-loss team. Whereas, conversely, you lose that game, you still have a ton of questions that, quite frankly, because the rest of your schedule isn't as good as you are, or even really, I think, all that close, I think Florida is going to take a step back this season. You're just going to have a lot of questions lingering throughout the season until you play another team of that caliber. And, you know, Georgia probably does get there in the SEC championship game. But when you enter that game with a loss already, it's an absolute must win, and it's essentially your entire season. Because if you lose that game, as Georgia has in the past against Alabama, you're probably not getting into the college football playoff. I know BA has said this. Until I see a two-loss team get into the college football playoff, I just don't know what's going to happen. Now, Auburn nearly did it a few years ago, but they ultimately end up losing to Georgia in the SEC championship game back in 2017. So that Clemson game is going to be a huge tone setter, not just for JT Daniels, Kirby Smart, the narratives around this team. It's really going to be a tone setter for the whole season because it's either All right, yeah, we pretty clearly know. We can hang with the big boys, beat them, and belong in that college football playoff conversation. And if you lose that game, that question's going to linger until you play that that playoff-caliber team in the SEC championship game, which in my opinion will be Alabama, and you have to absolutely win that game at that point. Otherwise, you're not getting into the college football playoff. Let's see if we can do one more good question here. Um... Reform, reformation logistics. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Georgia's offensive line has to be better. They were not good enough on Saturday. And granted, I know Georgia's defensive line is really good, but Georgia's going to see a comparable defensive line in Clemson that first game of the season. And they just have to be better now. Jamari Sawyer wasn't out there the full time, and they're tinkering around still and trying to figure out who their best five are. But I've said this time and time again, Georgia's offensive line, it's not necessarily the game one problem that I think cornerback is. But when you play against Alabama in that SEC championship game, is that offensive line going to be good enough for you to, for JT Daniels to make the plays that he needs to? I don't know what the answer to that question is right now, and Georgia's going to have to figure that out and turn that answer into a yes by the end of the season. So, uh, With that, we'll wrap things up here for tonight. My name is Connor Riley. This has been Connor on coverage. You guys have been great. We do this every Tuesday night at 8 p.m.-ish. I was a little late on the start tonight. But thank you guys all for tuning in. You've got Jeff Sintel on Before the Hedges tomorrow. You've got Brandon Adams every Monday through Friday. You've got Mike Griffith Monday nights on the beat. He had Cole cubic on last night. Great, great appearance. We'll occasionally do cover four. I'm not sure if we're gonna do it this week or not yet, but we'll see on that. So my name has been Connor Riley. This has been Connor in coverage. You guys have been great tonight. Have a great convention.